Welcome to Season 2 of the Shopstool Podcast, a podcast for woodworkers and the maker community in general. With Joey Chalk from King Post Timberworks, Brian Cush from Sawdust Bureau, and Robin Lewis from Robin Lewis Makes. Hi everyone, I hope you're all very well. This is episode number 15 of Season 2 of the Shopstool Podcast. As always, I want to start by introducing my two co-hosts. Joey, how's it going today? Very good. How are you, Robin? Not too bad. Can't complain. And Brian, down in Melbourne, how are you? I am excellent, thanks. Hope you guys are well. That's good. So last, last time we, we talked, um, Brian, you were sweating in the shop. Is it, has there been a change since? Yeah, it's cooled down a bit. It's a whole lot more temperate, about 35 degrees that I so lovely. <laughs> Jeez. So it, it's a pleasant height instead of an awful height. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. And my name is Robin Lewis. Welcome to the show, everyone. We've got a, we've got a pretty cool story. Well, not story, a pretty cool topic to talk about today. So uh, last week, we ended off the show with, with Joey saying that he had a couple of things that he still wanted to get into, but we decided to keep it as a full separate show. And the gist of it is when you are making furniture or building for a client, invariably things, well, maybe not invariably, maybe occasionally things go yeah. wrong and you've got to deal with that as, a, as, a, as the maker. Yeah. So I guess looking at it from the perspective of these things do happen, what are your expectations as the, the builder and what, what would we expect the client to, how would we expect the client to react so so joey did you have an actual like a story that you wanted to well revolve yeah, i mean I, i've been thinking about it for a while and in, in that um i think well certainly i've always been really hard on myself if i'm going to go and install whatever it is a bookcase or something that could built anything built in especially um i expect I go there and I do it perfectly and then I get paid. Like that's, that's why I'm doing it. And I've just recently come to kind of realize that if, if the client calls me or emails me back saying, uh, you know, this is actually not quite fin- it, is this finished or is, this doesn't look like it's finished or I don't like that this looks messy. Um, I'm I really, I'm still working on it, but I'm really trying not to take it personally anymore. Mm. It's, it's sometimes when you get the email, it feels like, They've just slapped you across the face, like, like you did it on purpose or something, and um, they're calling you out or something. But, but I think a lot of the times it's just like, look, I'm not sure if this is meant to be like this. And now my approach is, okay, right, well I'll come and have a look at it, send me a picture of it, or if it's something like, um, I, I guess also, um, in the, and we're not perfect as as makers, and sometimes you just forget to do something, and whether that mm. is. Um, forget to put a little cap on a screw in a cupboard or, um, you know, maybe you were meant to put some no more gaps somewhere in the job that they got away from you and you forgot to do that. There's lots of little things that happen on site. There's, there's a lot going on in your brain trying to get everything done, especially with built-in units where mm. most of the time I only give myself the day to do it. Um, and sometimes I just forget to do something. I've got to be called back to fix it. And I really trying not to take it so personally and feel crap about it where I used to always just feel like I've been punched in the stomach and you know these people hate me now and um, I don't think mm. that's the case even though that I think that's how we sometimes take the message when it first comes across um, because are you do you find yourself because I, I would imagine there's two 
there's two routes that you can take. You can take yeah. the, oh, no, you're in the wrong. This is fine. Everything's, yeah. it's yeah. your not your fault, but you're the one with the issue. Or you yeah. can take it as, why am I doing this? Clearly, I'm, I'm not worth my weight in, in, <laughs> in salt. I shouldn't be a woodworker. And you take it upon yourself. So do you find you sort of lean more to one side or the other? Well, I think there's probably another route, a third route, and that's just like, okay, yeah, I, I probably should take that one on the chin. I stuffed up. And just mm. admitting that, you know, sometimes you just aren't perfect. Um, and that's sort of what you're saying you're getting better at now. Yeah, is, I'm getting is, better is at that. Like, it used to be, I think what you're saying is, for me it was that, that first option where it used to be like, you know, if you client, you don't know what you're mm. talking about. There's, I've just done, you know, this awesome work. Um, a lot of that is because I know all the trouble I got, I went through to get you to where you are now. We might be 99.9% finished and you're complaining about this last 0.1%, which, mm. you know, was bloody hard work to get to that point. So I can't make it any better than that. But now you're complaining about it. That's what really hurts. But now I just think, well, you know, if I explain the issue to them and then say, here's an alternative or here's what we can do to tidy this part up, mm. it makes life a lot less stressful um, all around. But mm. I, I just feel like people especially on Instagram and all these places, it's just all these perfect, perfect, perfect pictures of finished things. And you never, no one ever seems to say, oh, yeah, I did this install and everything went wrong and now I've got to go rebuild it and, you know, didn't get through the door, whatever it is. Um, <laughs> it, well, you don't see so, that much. It's so funny. Like when, when I first started woodworking, and especially when you're at those early days and you're looking at all that perfection, it's it's really daunting because you think that the, the this person that you're looking at, they've decided I'm going to design a, let's say, a side table. And from start to finish, it has been flawlessly executed each step perfectly yeah. and, and off they go. But the more I get into this, I'm, the more I realize that a big chunk of woodworking is problem solving and fixing mistakes because yeah. those are going to happen. So it's how you resolve them. They can really make or break. So I guess when you are installing in a house, like you've, you've got to do that on the fly, on the day. There's, yeah. there's no, you know, go home and have a think, how am I going to do this? You've got to solve it then. And that's, I think, for me, the most stressful part is actually getting in the van to leave and I'm just going over and over all the steps that I need to do, every tool I'm going to need. I, like, I mentally go through the install and say, first I'm going to carry the unit in, and then I'm going to see if the skirting board needs cut down, so I might need my multi-tool, and then I'm going to, I need these sets of tools to do this, and then this happens, and then if everything turns to crap, and the worst case is, then I'm probably going to need this set of tools to fix that, and I might need a spare piece of wood, so I'll go grab this in case. And I've got all this stuff just in case, for, you know, the worst case scenario. And then invariably, when you actually get there, none of those things happen, but something else happens, which you completely mm. didn't even think about, and <laughs> you didn't even consider it. Yeah, and then, yeah. I mean, and that's, like, that's what happened to me just the other day. I was doing this, I did this six-meter-long and built-in entertainment unit, which is the biggest, the longest one I've ever done. It was not very tall, but um, the wall, it was only in a 10-year-old house. Well, a 10-year-old kind of basement built under an old villa, so it should be pretty good, you would think. But this, the wall was so terrible uh, in and out, every which way, like 20 mil this way, 20 mil that way. 
and there was no backing on the on this bookcase and I just said to the client Look, I can't I can't make this work like I can't scribe every shelf and every vertical member like we're kind of going for a mean kind of um, we're, we're going to you know median gaps everywhere at the back like and, and they were actually like, you know, that's fine. We're going to put books on it. I don't really mind if we've got some gaps against to the wall. Um, mm-hmm. So they were pretty pretty nice that way. But, I mean, I, it was just one of those things where you're like, there is no fixing this at this point <laughs> like unless, <laughs> unless we go back to rebuild it. Um, yeah. It, is, yeah. A, yeah. it is a tricky thing, yeah. the whole idea of a tradesman versus a craftsman. Um, mm, craftsmen mm. constantly trying to attain perfection and the difficulties involved in that like it's it's not something that's necessarily viable and they're they're getting paid mm, more mm. than we are to do a slightly worse job a lot of the time yeah yeah that's a good point it's getting a higher rate oh yeah 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 definitely carpenters make more than most furniture makers absolutely wow okay interesting well if you here if yeah what what would what would you reckon they're getting paid like three year apprentice or something? You're asking me or Brian? No, oh, Brian. I, I, yeah, I don't know anything about that. Once you're qualified, like you're looking over a hundred dollars an hour, depending on your experience, and you try to find me a furniture yeah. maker or something at Rose. Is that what the guy? Oh, I'm going to quit my job today. Yeah, I you should want to, be a carpenter. You should, you should come be a plumber here as an apprentice. You're getting seventy five bucks now. It's pretty good. Yes. That's amazing money. Yeah. And they may not be getting that in their pocket if they're being subbed out, but they're getting a bloody good wage. All they have to do is drive a van and... Yeah. I mean, yeah, they, yeah. they don't really have the overheads hmm. that a furniture maker would have in terms of having a shop, having um, advertising costs, all that kind of stuff. You know, they're just working as yeah. a contractor, yeah. so it's a pretty, it's a pretty lucrative job. Yeah, crazy. Sure. But in terms of actually making mistakes, I think it's really important as a furniture maker to to make them and then learn how to sort of undo them. Um, it's just it's mm. going to happen. It's mm. the it's the reality of working with a natural material that has different knots, different grain directions. You will get different tear outs yeah. and things. Um, so it's it's just it's just part of the job and it's part of your experience learning as a as a craftsman. Yeah. So, I mean, so long as you're learning safely and you're not putting yourself mm. at risk. Like I keep a constant um, stack of offcuts behind my miter saw and if I want to try out a new technique or joint I'll do it on the offcut whereas when I first started making furniture I'd probably just go straight to the main piece and you'll make a mistake and it'll cost you time mm. and money and you want to avoid that mm, mm. Um, so I, yeah. I like the idea of still making mistakes and still constantly learning but just in terms of improving your time flow, it just makes sense to me to make those mistakes on a piece that isn't the finished article. Another <laughs> thing as well, we do tend to judge ourselves pretty harshly. We really hold ourselves to account. Yeah. Builders make mistakes yeah. all the mm-hmm. time, and they only get picked up in um, defects reports, whereas we're sort of trying to do constant defects reports every time we cut something, every time we finish it. Yeah. We're examining it and checking for mistakes. And yeah. it's a lot of pressure to put on yourself. Um, jo- Joey, have you, now that you say that you're, you, you feel like your approach is changing, are you finding your, your conversation and the way you deal with the client is also changing? Because you, obviously, your entire demeanor is a lot more relaxed about it. So yeah. isn't that affecting it, do you think? I think, 
what I tend to do now is try and spot all the problems that immediately, as soon as I walk into a room and I'm like, all right, that's going to be a problem, that's going to be a problem, and I tell the client, I'm like, these are all issues. I'm going to do whatever I can to make them not be issues. But if it comes to install day and this does become a bit of a problem and we've got to end up with something not fitting here or there, this is why, and Mm. I can't plan for it until the other part A is in place and then I can measure for this little piece and that just might be something you have to either pay extra for or wait and see and you know um, I'm a lot more open instead of I think before I would try and be like uber professional and be like yeah I can come and do it and I can fix everything I'm going to make it look perfect and and in my mind I'm going crap how am I going to get around that problem and and do this leave it to me I will solve this I'm I'm not keeper of all knowledge and, yeah. and you don't need to talk to me at all yeah yeah, yeah gotcha um and now I'm, I'm way more just okay yeah I, i'm gonna try it and i'm gonna tell you now it might not work and if you're happy to go ahead with that then let's go for it um yeah that's so i guess my, you're sort of priming them to the idea that failure there is, is an a option. chance <laughs> yeah failure is, is an option yeah and i would when, i would be i would be pretty similar like with my clients, I do less sort of built-in work and more freestanding yeah. work. So my main issues are either delivery, which I've covered before, and when I had the steel frame that wouldn't fit through the door, and the mm. whole drama of bringing it back, cutting it out, working um, a mechanism where it would fit. That's one issue that I have. The other one is finishes. So trying to explain to a client that timber, no matter what the finish on it is, it is not indestructible. Um, oh, explaining yeah. the difference between a hard wax versus a, uh, a varnish, which I, I don't use varnishes because I'm constantly in the fear of the scratch, the water gets underneath, the whole thing lifts, whereas I yeah. like the hard wax being able to sort of spot repair a bit. But yeah, just trying to explain to them, don't leave a vase on a timber table. It will ring. It will leave a black mark. Um, yeah. Also, paint finishes on steel. Like, I've done a few oh, right. for commercial spaces, and they just get battered. So mm. there's not much you can do about that except explain to them this may have to be sandblasted and, and repowder coated in three to four years, depending on how you treat it. Mm. But I actually, I was talking to a friend at the weekend, and an idea came to me, only offer my steel uh, pieces in one finish. And it's like yeah. that uh, boiler black, you know, that heat-proof mm. yeah, epoxy yeah, black? Matte black. That stuff is indestructible. Yeah, and I was idea. like, that would that would save me so much hassle. Um, yeah. So is it, yeah, is that? Do you think that's more durable than a powder coat? Or, or you I think, think it is. Yeah. Because you could repair it. Yeah, you think? I think so. Because even if it's a satin powder coat, scratches like smudge scratches show on it. Like they change yeah. the whole texture of the finish a bit. If you go matte powder coat, I find that every single right. um, tiny little scratch shows in it. And then if it's outdoors, it obviously starts to rust. Whereas that, that boiler black um, is brilliant in terms of protection and aesthetics. So, Have you had mm. people complain like like on a foot wrist or something where it gets worn? And like the powder coat uh, is the, weird. The side, the side legs of tables were the big ones that I'd had. People, Jeez. I did some for a um, for South Melbourne Market. Um, they wanted, I think it was 16 or 17 big high bar tables. And they brought steel. They bought steel stools um, from another. I can't remember if it was a maker or they were imported, but they're steel stools. So the steel stools are constantly getting slammed into the sides of the legs and yeah. chipping the paint. And like yeah. you go back in, I think I went back two years after the job, and I was like, it looks really shitty. Like if they just asked me some advice on stools, 
I would have said, you know, pick something with a softer edge to it. Even a timber <laughs> stool isn't going to yeah. damage them as much. But, um, yeah, you can only offer advice. You can't, um, you can't really tell them what to do. I often yeah. um, get clients asking about the finishes, like you were saying, about the hard wax or, or urethane or what should we have. Mm-hmm. And I tend to... I like oils in, for, this, for the fact that you can apply them really easily. And mm. I usually what sells it to the client is that they can um, I, I say to them look if you in five years three years if you want to refinish it you can just rub on some oil yourself and redo the the top and most clients are like yeah great I love that idea that I can redo it myself um, and inevitably I end up doing that though they, they wouldn't do it, do it themselves <laughs> have you ever have you ever said yep. to a client they can do it themselves or it's easy maintenance or yeah yeah, if I'm doing a coffee table and I, I suggest Danish oil as a finish because I really like the yeah. luster of it. Um, yeah. When it's not a ter- terribly high traffic piece, like if it's just a coffee table, I'm like, yeah, it's going to give you a really nice finish and, you know, in a year's time, 18 months' time, you can give it a light sand and oil it and just watch the yeah. timber rejuvenate. I don't know of any client that's ever done it. No, I don't think they do. I might but... be wrong. I might be wrong, but they like the idea, you know, while we're connecting yeah. with the piece. But in terms yeah, of the actual... Yeah, absolutely. I'm... I get to put some of myself into it, and yeah, yeah, that must be quite a nice, quite a nice thing. But who knows? Maybe they do do it. They just don't tell me. Um, but I'm I'm trying to think of any. I did one fit out job for a um, a combi van. He's like he owns um, a combi that he mainly takes to shows. He doesn't use it to camp that often, and the client wanted it to be more of a lounge that he could sort of sit in, in the combi, but also make it, um, that he could take it camping. So it had a rock and roll bed. Right. And it, it, it was essentially, a, we ripped out all this high, deep cabinetry, which left a very, very dark, confined combi space. Ripped it all out, put in a banquette along the end that's facing the sliding door as you come in. And uh, I was talking about materials to the client. I was like, kind of has to be plywood in terms of the heat that you know i can't really put solid timber in here it has to be plywood in terms of stability um weight wise i don't want to put in anything too thick and too heavy you know i might have to hollow some bits out and then i was like right people are going to be sitting on this banquette it's going to get scratched to buggery so i'm like how do i hide the scratches in a sheet of plywood so i ended up using um laminated ply so edge laminated so your the striations were kind of running uh, let me get this right the striations were running horizontal, so perpendicular to the length of the banquette. Okay, yeah. And I had a... He had bought a, an electric fridge, freezer, that would sort of sit in, and I created this ridiculously complicated system. <laughs> Due to the curvature of the combi, you couldn't have a lid that opened that right. would allow the lid of the fridge to open. So it was a sliding lid on hidden tracks that I made Jeez. out of aluminium and nylon. It came forward and, and dropped flat against the front of the banquette right tell me if am i making sense yeah vaguely <laughs> sliding <laughs> panel comes out comes forward yep. pulls towards you drops down flat yeah but six months later he came to me and he's like uh it's not working anymore and i'm like well, explain to me what you mean it's not working anymore and he's like oh well, the, the lid isn't in the tracks any, at all like i can see i can see a gap between it and I hadn't expected it, and the plywood company definitely hadn't told me it would happen. But when you laminate plywood vertically like that, it starts to behave like natural timber again. Yeah, so it will yeah. shrink across the grain. 
Right. So this panel was probably about 800 mil wide, and it had shrunk by about eight or nine mil. Jeez. Yeah. So um, I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> obviously, like, in the combi, on a 40-degree day, if that thing's parked up and yeah. not being used, all the windows closed, it could be 50, it could be 60 inside. It's basically an oven. It'd be, it could yeah, be so, way more, yeah. So it's extreme situation, but yeah. I was like, God, how am I going to do this? So I ended up having to get him to bring it back. I had to remake two lids in it, and I did it. Um, I put sort of breadboard ends. Just oh, wow. kind of trying to keep it flat on plywood. <laughs> and uh, a year and a half later, and it's still good. It still works. Oh, that's good. Jeez. But, I mean, that's something I could never have pre-planned. It's not the client's fault mm. because, you know, I was the one that suggested yeah. the material. It's not really the manufacturer's fault because they wouldn't sort of test it to those conditions. Yeah, but it's just one of those outside things. outside of the, the parameters, yeah. yeah. So it's just one of those things that I have to wear the cost on, I have to wear the time on, but ultimately it has to get fixed. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Actually, um, just made me think about when you said breadboard ends. Um, just a w- little while ago, I made a walnut table that was just like a, a walnut slab and it had like two kind of legs, two flat panel legs. I'm not sure if you remember, I made a video about it. It's very simple. It's only like you know, three pieces of timber kind of joined together to make this walnut table. Anyhow, I had breadboard ends on it, and um, the lady just called me up the other week and said, oh, look, the table's shrunk. Um, and I said, yep, that's what's meant to That'll happen. happen. <laughs> um, and, and, I, and she knew it was going to happen, and she's like, yeah, I just wanted you to know that it's shrunk and it's not going back again. And I was like, yeah, well, you know, the weather's changing, it's summer, whatever, um, most likely, I don't... In our climate in Auckland, what I find is material shrinks and stays shrunk once it's in a yeah. house. Yeah. Um, oh, right. Which, yeah, it doesn't really expand, although it, does, it kind of does, but no, it doesn't come back to where it was. Um, but, hmm. I, you know, with a breadboard end, you, you have to... You have to stop working at some point. You can't just keep trimming yeah. things. Um, how do you how do you guesstimate like what like, yeah. what, what the weather is in your shop and sort of do you, yeah. do you trim it slightly slightly proud or slightly short? That's right. So I'm, anyway, yeah. so she's got and it's about a one and a half mil shrinkage on four corners, which is nice and even, which is nice. But mm-hmm. she's like now she's like I don't like the sharp edges. That's the little one and a half mil step on mm. the side. She's mm. like catch my jumper on it or she catches her hand on it. So she's like, can you come and take the corners off, arras that sharp corner off? And so I'm like, yeah, I can do that. But, but. if the table extend, expands back to where it was, if you ever shift house or whatever happens, um, well, who knows, it hasn't even been a year yet. You haven't done a full season cycle. Um, you're going to have these weird little notches on the sides where the breadboard end meets, yeah. and there's no other arrases anywhere else on the, the tabletop, so it's going to look strange. But, I mean, she's just hounding me to get it done. Like, I'm just constantly emails, when are you coming, when are you coming? And so she's an hour away from me, and she wants me to make a trip, special trip, just to go and take four swipes with a chisel. And, and I'm like, I can't do it like that. You're going to have to wait for me to come when I'm in your area, and then I'll yeah. pop in. And she's like, yeah, but that's not going to work with my schedule and all that kind of rubbish. And so she just, she yeah. maybe she likes your company. She just wants you to uh, visit well, every every spring and every autumn, yeah. you know. And you can take a bit off and add a bit on. Yeah, who knows? 
<laughs> is is she totally okay with the understanding though that this is the natural yeah um, life cycle of the table? So she's not yeah. saying like you need to come and fix it. She's saying no. She's saying you- I get it, and we talked about it. But now that it's happened, I kind of don't like it. Okay, gotcha. And I'm like, that's cool. It hasn't hasn't been a full year yet. You might want to give it a full, you know, four seasons, and then see if it comes back out. Um, who knows yeah. what's going to happen? Uh, I agree that it's a little sharp edge, but like, uh, come on, that's that's the piece did, of wood. Did she indicate that she'd be willing to pay for you to come, or was she expecting? No, she's that definitely she's definitely of like, you made this, you have to make it right, and I can see already ah. that you know, in five ten years, I'll be getting calls for this little things on the surface and fixing this and fixing that. So, yeah. Um, mm. Yeah, that's a tricky one. It will be interesting. Well, it, it, shouldn't, it shouldn't be a tricky one because it should be a no. case of this was explained to you. Yeah. Your problem. Yeah, so clients can be a bit tricky with wording. So, and um, so w- we were talking earlier about comebacks. So I, I did this job recently where I fitted out a wardrobe. Pretty basic, really, but there was one part of it where I had to... I made quite a... kind of Almost like a room divider out of... Um, like a, a vertical louver out of some solid ash, and getting actually getting it into place between two walls was very difficult. The, the plastering on the house was a little off, and you know there was uh, architraves in the way and some odd ge- geometry. And so we had to trim <coughs> a very small amount off. It's hard to de- describe, but we had to trim a little bit off this louver to get it into place, and then it left a tiny little gap between. There's about a two millimeter gap between the wall and one of these louvers, and one spot, just one little part. Anyway, so I did the install, went away, and then so. And this always happens too. This is this is classic. You deal with the wife just about for everything, and then when there's a problem, the husband gets on the email and starts emailing. Oh, was, this the, was this the, the the legal action from last no, year? No, no, no. This is this is a, this is a different one. Um, no, wow. um, so he's like, I don't like the gap. You need to come fix that. I don't like where you've put screws. Um, you need to come fix that. And I don't like something else. Um, so I'm like, okay, wait. The screws. That's where there's wood in your ceiling. That's where we had to put some screws. There's no other wood. Can't do anything about it. We put some little ash caps, ash veneer caps over the screws, and a couple of them had started, one of them had unpeeled a little bit or something, and so he told me I had to glue all of the caps down, so I did that. Um, and so I ended up compromising with him, well, not compromising, but I said, okay, um, I'll make a little kind of tiny little, this tiny little architrave, so to speak, to cover this gap where, where this louver meets the, uh, the wall. I can't really do much else about it. And he's like, yeah, that sounds like a good um, good compromise. So I did that two days after the install. I went back, fixed it up. And, and at this stage, you're still, you guys are still friendly. Everything's very yeah, civil. Yeah, and we're still, no as far as I know, we're still friendly, except I haven't heard from him. It's been eight days since I fixed it. He won't return my emails, and he owes me two grand for the final payment. And I'm like... <laughs> You know, I kind of would like to get paid at this point, and you're not even saying boo to me whether you liked the repair or you didn't like the repair, or you know. So, yeah. hey, it, it's a tough one. I'm not sure where I go if I just don't get a reply. <laughs> you know, you can only do I, so much. I, man, I was horrified talking to the builders who did the 
the re- renovation to my place. They were saying, and you'll probably be able to um, uh, uh, agree with this, Joey, if, if you know the answer. But here in Australia, the Q, well, in Queensland, the QBCC, so the Queensland Building Commission or whatever it is, they're the ones who set out the, co- the, the standards, and they're also the ones that um, you get your license, your building license. When, when building work takes place on my property, property, the QBC will insure me for any damages. So there's damages. I can go to the QBC, QBCC and claim on those damages. But if I don't pay the builders, they can do nothing. There is no recourse. They've got to take me. They've got to do some kind of legal action. There's no insurance that the builders can take out if I decide to be an arsehole and walk away. Let's... Uh, I need to process that a little bit. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, because they're on the builder's side, essentially. So they are, because they're giving their license at, licenses out, they stand behind their builders is what the way I take that. And they're, they're kind of like saying, we think the builders are doing a good job unless you prove otherwise. So if you pay them and at least they're paid, then we'll, st- then we'll look at your claim and that way the cash flow is, you know, money's going around. It, it was more from the perspective of if... In, in the, 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 the builder-client relationship, if anything goes wrong with the building process, I yeah. have insurance for it. Yeah. If anything goes wrong with the client, like the client just decides to not pay you, right. the builder's stuffed. There's no recourse. That's why they often just go out of business right. and then okay. start up a, a new business. And I was, I was horrified because I've just assumed that the builder would have his own insurance that if I don't pay, he can claim on that and the, insur- the insurers come after me. Mm, yeah, I think it's quite difficult to have insurance that way. It's probably prohibitively, whatever that word is, expensive. Mm. Um, I know, like, for example, all most trade tradies keep all their tools in their van or ute, and they've got 20, 20 grand worth of tools probably sitting around in their um, van or ute, but it's so absurdly expensive to insure it while it's living in in the vehicle that it's not it's not worth it. It's actually yeah. cheaper just to buy a new set of tools or if and when it gets broken into or stolen. Hmm. Um, and so it could be that. So here, like, if my client just straight up refuses to pay me, I, I will just take end up taking them to court, uh, small claims court. It was just, I think, yeah. the limit of it is worth, uh, I think, 30000 Anything hmm. over that, and it's a different category, but um, you just essentially stand in front of a judge and plead your case, and they just make a decision on the spot. But you've got a fork out for that, though. Uh, like I believe a- it's only a hundred and fifty dollar um, admission fee, kind of court processing ah. fee. Okay, all right. So that's not actually too bad then. It's not crazy. Like you've got to hire a lawyer or anything crazy. You, you, I could take advice p- privately, and he could lawyer could tell me what I should and shouldn't say, I suppose. And then mm. it, it would be up to me to go and um, do it privately. You know, my, myself in the courtroom, represent yourself. Mm. Um, I don't want to go down that road. I just, to me, it's, it's actually less hassle, depending on how much money is worth. Uh, you know what what I'm actually owed. Yeah. Um, it start. You know, by the time you take a couple of days off work and do all the other stuff you have to do, it starts adding up anyway. What the cost is going to be, whether how much you're getting back, even though it's a principal thing. Um, at some point, some people just win out by being assholes. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever happened with that that legal case? Um, yeah, are, what are was you that job? At liberty um, to talk? Oh, uh, yeah, they just walked away, haven't heard from them. That was the, 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 the Australians that living was, in the yeah. house. 
Yeah. That was, um, yeah, the um, wardrobe unit where the lady changed the... I asked the lady if she wanted to use a different product, and she said yes, and the husband mm. was quite furious about the change. <laughs> he said no. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so, so it just walked away, huh? Yeah, haven't heard anything back, so... I'm sure he's yeah, bad-mouthing me around town. That's what he said he was going to do. So I'm not sure. Sure. Yeah, yeah, interesting. So, um, Brian, just going back, we talked a little bit of, uh, well, you touched on earlier your, your um, those steel legs that you had to painstakingly take apart when you realized that they weren't going to fit through yeah. the, the opening. Yep. Was the client aware of that, that you were going through that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Having to oh, do totally that process? Right. And they yeah. were okay with that as long as, or, or what did you find when you had the conversation that like the relationship started to go a bit sour because now they were like, oh, who's this guy? He doesn't know what he's doing. It went a little bit sour because there was two other jobs potentially in the pipeline for them. And they suddenly became, despite me having previously quoted ballpark figures to do the work, once I had completed and installed that job, uh, they miraculously disappeared. It was too; they became too expensive. Mm. Um, I don't know. Uh, it's really hard to say. Like the the fault was their fault. They were definitely at fault because they provided me with a floor plan which didn't match the true measured dimensions. But I talked through the changes with them on the spot, and I was like, "This is the only thing that I can think of that will work to fit this table." <clears throat> and it will take me way longer than what I'm going to charge you for, but I want to make sure the piece gets in. It's no good to me. Like, how am I going to just resell this huge bespoke table that's been made for you? Um, did, did you? Did the client end up um, paying for some of that rework? They did, yeah. I mean, I think I charged them $400. Jeez. And that included me getting the pieces that didn't fit back down through an apartment building into the lifts, into my van, taking mm. on all that extra risk that, you know, if it slips and damages the paintwork, that's my fault again. Mm. Getting it out in my workshop, cutting it, um, adding a bracket. It was probably... It probably ended up being nearly a full day's work in my workshop. Mm. And then... Another install day. another two hours worth of driving back and forth to their apartment and installing it. Um... So, yeah, it was pretty frustrating. Especially then that, you think you're, you're going out of the way to help and then the other jobs uh, evaporate. Mm. So this yeah. kind of leads on a little bit, I think, to um, contracts. Not that I want to get dive yeah. deep, deep into contracts, but like I've just, you know, in the last end of last year, I started with a proper contract thing. I say proper. It's, it's just my ramblings, but they cover the points that seem to happen most often like um, little bumps and scrapes on a wall like it's not my fault if we accidentally take a tiny little piece of paint off your wall um, things like that and um, in in that is I've got a, a essentially a clause saying you know if you're going to make a change it's happening in writing and if I've already started work on it I'm probably going to charge you more work to change it uh, sorry going to ch- charge you more money to to make that change because of possibly already, you know, it's too late. They've already cut a piece of wood or whatever. Um, mm. Sometimes it's too, you can't make wood longer. So, um, mm. you know, is that something that you have in place? Any, any like change? Like this is a massive thing where people suddenly decide that it needs to be black instead of white, you know? 
I haven't actually had any clients change a piece halfway through the build. Um, I've wanted to change pieces, but I'll only raise that with a client if I think it is of significant importance to, I don't know, maintaining the lifespan of the piece or something. If it's a slight aesthetic change that I think will make it look better, I generally won't take it on. Unless the piece, I think I mentioned it before, unless the piece is for me, and then I will constantly make aesthetic changes in the workshop. But yeah, if it's Mm. changing a piece with a client, I feel as though uh, the um, 50% deposit that I charge is based on the drawings as signed off on this and you signed here, and that is what you will Mm. get. Um, Yeah. That's so. uh, Yeah. So, like, I I used to like rely on the drawings as well. I say, this is what you're going to get. And I would do everything I could to stick to it. But in, inevitably, there would be small changes of things that I didn't realize would need to be done when I made the drawing. And that would be, usually they're so small that it's not worth, and no one's going to notice it. But yeah. if, if they really sat down with the magnifying glass, they could go, right, that's different to the drawing. And, and so then I really started, that's when I really started kind of thinking, you know, what is it? Because you said you'd have some kind of creative input a little bit, and do you worry that that small amount of creative input is going to change what the end client is going to say? Hey, that's not actually what you drew. Um, I really like that little square detail, and you've gone and rounded it over. What I send the client, so I, I build a three D model of all my pieces that yeah. includes a lot of the detailing in the three D model. The clients don't get working drawings; no. they don't see no. every joint. Like, it will be a render, and it'll have sort of little dot points to it explaining what the joint will look like, say, bridal joint or a lap joint or something like that. Um, And then it will have a material swatch saying uh, Vigash or whatever, and it will have the overall dimensions on the piece. Yeah. And I, so long as I stay within those boundaries, I feel as though I'm fulfilling my end of the contract. Yeah, if yeah. I want to make a change to say the underside of the table or the way the tabletop connects or mm-hmm. the way a shelf fits in or something yeah. I don't feel as though I need to consult a client on that no. because generally I'm making the changes not to make it quicker or cheaper but generally to make it better yeah, more no. consistent yeah. Um, yeah, I if I felt you. as though I was cutting a corner I, I probably would say to the client and I would tell them why I was doing it I'd be like I'm going to take yeah time out of this end of the project but I'm going to put it back into this end by doing something else down yeah. here so mm. yeah I find that's easier than trying to renegotiate a fee and um, variation yeah. costs often with small changes I'm the same like I will I tend to kind of quote unquote risk it because it's such a small thing aesthetically compared to the whole of the unit like you say but some kind of weird internal thing a shelf goes here and instead yeah. of here or you know there's some issue with hardware then I'll just deal with it I'll make the change necessary and I've never actually really had anyone come back to me saying that's different but the, there's, a, there's a possibility there that they could go hey wait a minute this isn't actually what you said it was going to be or, and that always scares the crap out of me but I think it's just part of um, making stuff it's part of that, that trust that you have with, the, with the, the client as well they've got to trust you to mm. a degree and it's the fact that like we're the rule where we are designing the thing and making the thing whereas if you're a builder building something that's been designed by an architect and you build it exactly how the architect has designed it 
you're not responsible for it, you know. Mm. You can do as good a job, you know, you've done a beautiful job, but the client isn't happy with it. Not your fault, architect's fault. Um, or if the architect has designed it and the builder doesn't build it, it's the builder's fault. Mm. So yeah. there's always accountability, whereas the fact that we are primarily one-man designer makers, it all falls on our shoulders. I will um, say, over here... Uh, you know, ten. I guess it was. I guess it's twenty years ago now. Um, that we had this whole leaky home, leaky house mm-hmm. issue. They had the, had the similar one in um, Canada, and so we had this cladding system that was terrible. A lot of builders got taken to court, even though they were following the manufacturer's specs and the architect's uh, directions. The individual builders were taken to court to say that they did poor workmanship. And it, you yeah, know, that, it just got to a point where it's like, hey, we're just following the rules. At the time, mm. what it, the, at the time, the issue was that if you were the builder and you knew there was a better way to do it, you couldn't do it without making changes to the plans and going through. The architect would have to, you know, submit ah. different drawings and things. And so the builder would say, well, the architect knows what he's doing. We're going to do it the architect's way. Now that's changed. And if you come across something as a builder that you don't feel meets rigs or isn't the best way to do it, you're kind of obliged to change it and go through the process and you've got to sign it off as a builder that this is the change I made and all that kind of rubbish. Um, so it's a whole different route of accountability because of the whole leaky yeah. home situations that hmm. we had. Um, but yeah, yes, I, I take your point. <laughs> it's a grey area. Yeah, Like it's a grey area for us as makers because like code and standards and things apply to some things and not other things like when you're making a piece that's considered art it obviously doesn't have to um, Mm. take into account the same rules and regs Um, whereas like the piece like the cribs you've just finished the crib I've just finished you're obviously really strong um, by regulations and you have to abide by them Um, Mm. otherwise you will find yourself in court pretty quickly so but yeah, it's an interesting, yeah. it's an interesting um, thing how it differs between different industries. Yeah, that's right. So, so we're gonna have to we're gonna have to call it a show soon. But yeah. before we do that, talking about the, the the cut, Brian, has it all? Have you finished it? It's all done, completed. Last coat, last coat is going on today, and it's getting installed tomorrow, and Beauty. done. And I'm still nice. videoing it for YouTube. I don't know how the hell you guys do that. That is such a pain in the ass. There's <laughs> <laughs> so many bits I forget, to, I forget to set up the camera for, and I'm like, ah, oh, shit. And then I have to go back and kind of either undo it and redo it or sort of set it up with scraps of timber just to show the intention. But, uh, yeah, trying to capture a whole piece start to finish, it's hard. Yeah. It's a pain in the so, ass. But, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm working it's recorded. On, um, I'm working on an island bench at the moment, and yeah. Yeah. I... My clearances when I when I put it together were just a little bit off, so I had to re I had to cut my legs down from about 85 square stock to 70, and then redo the mortises and the tenons. And my first thought was, oh, I've made a mistake. I've got to go back and finish this. But way I don't have to film it because it yeah, doesn't yeah. make any sense in the video. <laughs> yeah. I, could just, I could just be a free woodworker again. Yeah, that's, yep. uh, yeah. I'm actually just i um, just started filming a job like yesterday, um, and I've got to cut down. So this guy bought me in all these slabs of New Zealand-grown walnut being ear-dried, and somebody in the past had made this beautiful media unit console. 
really nice finger joints on it and everything. He shifted house. The, sh- the movers dropped it out of the back of the truck and just, just the whole thing just fell apart, just wrecked it on the angle and all the finger joints popped and everything kind of broke. Mm. So he said, mm. can we like make, I want to make a tabletop out of all these nice bits. There's some really nice crotch veneer, uh, crotch grain pieces and curly pieces and uh, stuff you don't really get here. And so I've said, you know, the only way we can really do this is if I cut all these big bits down and we'll make veneers and I'll press it onto a, some plywood uh, for your, your tabletop. And um, so I've been filming that, but it's been a while. It feels to me like it's been a while since I filmed something, and I keep doing the same thing. I keep getting halfway through a cut and like, crap, stop, go to get, get the camera, set it up, at least while I'm halfway yeah. through the cut, <laughs> and then um, carry on. So... Yeah, there's a few steps that I've missed out, but uh, yeah, whatever. At this point, yeah. <laughs> it's too late. A lot of overhead. Well, I, I'm, I, for one, am definitely looking forward to that video, Brian. Do you, do you know when it's going to be up? 2020. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> All right, you heard it here first. We're going we're to hold you to that. <laughs> yep. One video a year, that's good, man. You get like a $100,000 a year sponsor, that'd be good. <laughs> All right, yeah. let's call it a day. So Sweet. to everyone listening, I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please go ahead and give it a rating on iTunes. That really does help us out. The Shop Store Podcast is available on iTunes and most other podcast apps. My name is Robin Lewis. Joey and Brian, thanks very much for hanging out today. Take care, everyone, and we'll see you in the next show. Sweet. See ya. Cheers, guys. Bye.